Turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 13. And there is only 13 chapters in Nehemiah. This morning we are continuing our study through the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to be looking at part one of a study I've titled Compromise and Cleansing. You know, if, if last week it just kind of ended there, man, we would just be like, wow, everything was great. People were flourishing, they're back in Jerusalem, and well, the service of the temple is happening, and people are bringing their tithes and offerings, and the, the people serving are being taken care of, the people coming to the assembly are being ministered to. Man, it's just, this is great. But then there's chapter 13. That's kind of like our lives, right? It's like, not always just like a high note. It's not everything is always like, everything's flourishing, everything's great. There's just constant revival. It's like, there's lulls. There's times where maybe we've allowed things to creep in where God's like, hey, let's, let's do a little heart check. There's a little need a bit of, uh, of heart cleaning, a little bit of cleansing that's needed. We don't get a picture of the, the Jewish people in Nehemiah's day of this perfect people. We, get a, uh, we do get a, a picture of a perfect God, though. Perfect God, a faithful God. So today in part one, we're going to be studying Nehemiah 13, verses 1 through 14. We saw again this last week, this large chunk of Scripture we took, chapters 11 and 12. We saw the dedication that happened at Jerusalem but as we come to this final chapter of Nehemiah, it's, it's important for us to remember that all of what we've been seeing since the beginning of chapter 1, and we'll continue to see through the end of chapter 13, has really been with the emphasis, a thread that's sort of woven through the entire book of Nehemiah, uh, of God wanting to rebuild and renew and revive His people. And with that emphasis in mind, three different times in this final chapter, we're going to see a cleansing take place in relation to Nehemiah dealing with compromise that existed among the people, and Nehemiah really dealing strongly with those areas of compromise. But then we're also going to see four different times in this chapter that Nehemiah prays as he acts in his zeal for the Lord to get rid of the compromise, making it clear that the cleansing was not a, a self-righteous sort of judgmental act by Nehemiah, but really that the things being done were being done for the Lord. See, the, the covenant, the commitments, the, the promises, if you will, that the people made in chapter 10 to, to not neglect the house of their God, we remember that chapter, to not violate the Sabbath day, to not give their children into marriage to the pagan nations around them, are all going to be broken in this chapter. And I just, you know, I, again, the, the Jewish people, that's us. It's our story. Like, how many of us have, can say the same thing, man? Like, Lord, I, I said something, I made some sort of commitment, and then at some point in time, and maybe it was quick, and maybe it took a while, but we failed. We failed. We weren't faithful. And yet we see in the midst of all these things, again, a faithful God in the midst of a unfaithful people. It's just us. It's our story. We can see us throughout the entire book of Nehemiah. 
in need of the renewing, rebuilding, reviving work of the Lord constantly. They not only entered into an oath about the things that they committed to the Lord in chapter 10, they entered into a curse, as we saw in that chapter. That if they didn't fulfill the oath, which was really basically them welcoming the correction, the discipline, the judgment of God, if they failed to do what they said that they would do, they, they were ready for that. We're making this oath, Lord, but this oath is bringing a curse. Lord, you could do whatever you want with us if we don't make good on this. So, so if we feel at any point in what we're going to see in chapter 13 that Nehemiah is being too harsh or too severe in how he seeks to correct the failures of the people, we need to remember that the people before the Lord had given God their permission. Not that He ever needs our permission, right? They welcomed Him, dealing strongly with them if they failed in their promises. I mean, how many of us like it when God corrects us, when He disciplines us? I don't think any of us like it. We might not like it, but His correction of us as His children is always rooted in His love for us. We see this in what the writer of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. We're told there in that passage, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise, don't think little of, the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him, for whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect." Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but He for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This isn't just an important piece of Scripture for us to keep in mind as we see what we're going to see in chapter 13, that this wasn't God just really wanting to like stick it to the Jewish people. He's, he loved them. He loved them, and He loved them enough to do something about the, the, the compromise, the unholiness that they crept in. Our God... Our God cares about our holiness. We might not always care about it that much. Or the world around us definitely doesn't care about it. But unholy believers do not rightly reflect a holy God to a watching world that's separated from Him by their sin on the broad road leading to destruction. And God's going to use Nehemiah in this chapter as an agent, really, of the cleansing, the the correcting, the chastening work he wanted to do in his people, the Jews, in Nehemiah's day, to deal with the sinful compromises that his people had settled into so that his people 
would walk right with him and be holy unto him. And so with that context in mind, let's look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13. It says, Nehemiah 13, verse 1, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Regardless of what that day was, when this day took place, whether this is connected to what was going on at the end of chapter 12 or, or whether it's connected to what's going to happen once Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem after being gone for a time, as we've seen at different points in the more recent chapters, God did powerful things in the lives of His people when they prioritized and they received His Word and they really welcomed it in as they should, as the Word of God with all of its authority, giving God their submission, and that was no different here. The, the people gathered to hear God's Word be read, and as they did that, they found something that wasn't how it was supposed to be scripturally. And so out of submission to the Lord, they acted in obedience to what was read, what they had heard from God's Word, His law. They found written in the book of Moses, this is a, a reference to, to the, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because of the situation that happened in Numbers chapters 22 through 24 where the king, Balak, tried to hire Balaam to curse God's people. I want us to understand here that the problem that was being addressed in Nehemiah's day was not that an Ammonite or, or a Moabite could not become a follower and worshiper of Yahweh, the God of the Jews. It was that these unconverted people from the neighboring nations were being allowed to, to join the assembly of the Jews at the temple while still being worshipers of the false gods of their nations. It was kind of like, yeah, we want to keep our thing over here with our God, but we'll join you. We'll kind of just be with you. And, and to know the kind of influence that would take place as these really unrepentant uh, pagan people would join them and, and no doubt have some sort of form of influence in the lives of the Jewish people who were congregating in order to worship the one true God. But they were given a, a powerful reminder that God turned the curse into a blessing, that God didn't allow Balaam to curse the Jewish people, that he took what the enemy would mean for evil. He brought about good, a, a blessing of his people instead. And when these people heard what God's law said about this, they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. But, but what this tells us is that they had allowed things to come back in that were never supposed to be allowed back in in the first place. The fact that this even happened is already showing us that, that the people were compromising in their, 
in their worship life, in their congregational life, in what it looked like to come to the temple of God. See, the Jewish people here in Nehemiah's day wanted the blessing of God. Isn't that true for so many people? I think at the heart of so many people, they want the blessing of God. But so many people, including these Jewish people in Nehemiah's day, they they missed out on the blessings of God because of their unholiness and their lack of submission to God. So many people want the benefits of what what, what comes with being a a child of God, but they don't want to have to submit their lives to a holy God who is told us that obedience is part of our relationship to Him. We want the blessings of God, but we want it without obedience to Him. God, bless me in the thing that I'm doing. Like I know that there's compromise here, but bless me anyways, Lord. You know, the rad thing about our God is He, I think, oftentimes blesses us in spite of us. Not because of us, like, wow, look at how great they are. They're really doing some really great things for me. I just want to bless them. That does happen. God rewards faith. He rewards us in the things that we're doing, not always in physical ways. But oftentimes the blessings of God are, are something God uses to be a sign in our lives of His grace towards us in times where we don't deserve it. There's stuff actually that needs to change, and it's the blessings of God, sort of like in the kindness of God, that He actually uses to lead us into places of repentance. Do we know that the, that the, the primary, the default of God and his relationship with us is that he wants to use his kindness to lead us to repentance. His default is not to go straight to judgment. It's not straight to discipline. It's kindness. He'll use the discipline. He'll chastise. He'll correct. But that's not, his, that's not the primary way that God is wanting to deal with us. He's a good father. And as a good father, he wants to deal with us in his grace and in his kindness. And oftentimes, he'll bless us. And that blessing will be one of those things, like a light bulb sort of moment where it's like, God, why did you even just bless me? My life's not even worthy of being blessed at the moment, maybe. And to to use those things to turn our faces, to turn our hearts back to Him, back into holiness, back into obedience. We see here the mercy and grace of God being extended over and over. The patience of God in the midst of their failures and weakness and compromise and sin, but also see the Lord here wanting to draw them out of those things, wanting to rebuild and, and renew and revive His people once again. So they separated themselves from the, the mixed multitude of Israel. This was something they actually began to do in the beginning of chapter 9. This was like not a new, like all of a sudden, like, oh shoot, we should be doing this. Like they already knew. 
Back in chapter 9, they had this congregational like mourning and fasting and sackcloth and they separated themselves, but it, it obviously was not either a full separation or it was, it was a very temporary separation at that point in time. While there was separation in certain parts of their lives, there was, there was still compromise and failure in other parts of their lives as we're going to see throughout this chapter. So let's continue on in the verses 4 through 9. Verse 4, now before this, Eliashib the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah, and he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers, and the offerings for the priests. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God, and it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. This is like straight out of that show cops, right? Like some dude with like a wife beater on and he's like coming out. Anyways. Then I commanded them, verse 9, to cleanse the rooms and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. In verses 4 and 5, we're given insight into an unholy alliance that had existed between Eliashib, the high priest, and Tobiah the Ammonite. As the high priest, Eliashib should have cared the most about honoring and obeying and representing the Lord, but instead he had allied himself, likely through marriage, with one of the most prominent enemies of the Jewish people. And because of this alliance, Eliashib welcomed Tobiah, into Jerusalem, the city that Tobiah wanted to keep in ruins and did everything possible to try and keep from being rebuilt. But, but not just that, Eliashib had also prepared a large room for him in one of the storerooms that was connected to the temple itself, where instead of supplies being stored there in that room that would provide for those who served at the temple, the supplies were pushed out so that Tobiah could be brought in. But, but in verse 6, we see that the compromise went even deeper. The, the, the shadiness of the situation went even deeper as the acting upon the plan to bring Tobiah in, to do all of this, happened once Nehemiah left Jerusalem to return to King Artaxerxes where Nehemiah no doubt went to report personally to the king all that had happened while he had been gone. Now, the timestamp given to us in verse 6 lets us know that Nehemiah had spent 12 years in Jerusalem before returning to the king. So from what we've seen in the beginning of chapter 1 where he first came to Jerusalem to now, 12 years have passed. So there's quite a few years here because a lot of what we saw even up to chapter 12 all happened within a matter of months, within probably a year's span of time. 
So now there's like 11 years where there's just sort of silence. We don't know what happened. Seemingly, everything just kind of continued in that state of what we saw being left off in chapter 12. Everything seeming to be good. But everything kind of went crazy once Nehemiah was absent. It's unclear how long Nehemiah was away from Jerusalem. I, just knowing the amount of time traveling that it would take him, it, it would have been at, at, the, at the shortest amount a year. But, it, but in my opinion, because of the intermarriage later in this chapter and how there were children from those marriages who were old enough to speak, which seemed to not exist before Nehemiah left, it's likely Nehemiah was probably absent for, for at least a couple of years before asking the king to let him go back to Jerusalem. But, but a lot happened while Nehemiah was gone, and not in a good way. See, things seemed to be good as long as Nehemiah was around. But, but Nehemiah's absence gave room for the people to settle into unhealthy patterns and behaviors and priorities spiritually, patterns and behaviors and priorities that left unchecked would lead to the ruin of these people as it had for generations of Jewish people before them. It's kind of reminded me of like, you know, have you ever uh, seen those videos people will do where it's like they have their baby in a high chair and then they like put something in front of the, the child, you know, something that they're like testing the kid if the, the child will listen. They're like, don't eat it. This is cruel. It's just cruelty to put a cupcake in front of like a, you know, one-year-old, tell him not to eat it, but leaving, and then the video's still going, right? Is the, is the kid going to listen? And the kid's like looking around, tell a little time goes by, like sometimes those, you know, some of these videos, the kid takes it and eats it, and then the parent comes back, like acting all surprised and hurt, like that the child disobeyed. But man, when, when sort of the, the, the clear spiritual leadership of Nehemiah was present, man, everything, everything went really well. The people just kind of continued in those things that they knew that the Lord wanted them to. But the absence of, of godly leadership, the ab- absence of the, of the spiritual influence, even though Nehemiah was not a priest, he wasn't a Levite, he, he had no role of spiritual leadership in that sort of way that was connected to the temple. He was a civic leader. When, when the, the, the influence of, of, of Nehemiah's prayer life, the influence of Nehemiah's obedience, the influence of Nehemiah's zeal to, to, to stay true to the Lord was taken away. The people just kind of went back into whatever felt good for them. And then Nehemiah returns. Maybe a couple years later, he discovers the evil Eliashib had done for Tobiah, which grieved him bitterly, or literally caused him great distress. And in his zeal for the Lord, he did something about it. He goes into Tobiah's room the room that his stuff had been put in, this sort of Airbnb that Eliashib had set up for him there at the store houses of the Lord. That's a cool little setup. In Jerusalem, temple's right here. 
praises are happening. Like, this is a cool, some cool digs. I like this. Tobiah, or, uh, Nehemiah just goes in, grabs all of his stuff, and just chucks it out of the room. Just like, you know, Tobiah's just like, he's got this little like rented apartment thing almost. Like he just got this thing and Nehemiah's like, no. Just takes it all out. He commands the people there to, to cleanse the room, to scour it. A ceremonial purging of the room. And then he brings back all the things that belong, the articles of the house of God, the, the grain offering, the, the frankincense. See, the remedy for the compromise was cleansing, purification. It, was, it wasn't just like, oh, let's just move his stuff to the sides, then we can move some things back in. Yeah, it's kind of like we've lost a little bit of space in here, but like we can make it work. We can have Tobiah have his spot, and, and God can have his things in there too. It was like, no, we, all of that stuff's got to go. All the things that didn't belong were cleansed so that the room could be made for the things that did belong. But, but the problem wasn't just with what Eliashib did for Tobiah, but really, I believe, kind of sprang forth from the compromise of of Eliashib was that the Levites and the singers were not being taken care of like they were supposed to. We see this and, and see Nehemiah's prayer in verses 10 through 14. So let's look, let's look at those verses. Verse 10, I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them, for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why? Is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and of the Levites Padea. And next to them was Hanan the son of Zachar. The son of Madaniah, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. And, and then Nehemiah's prayer here in verse 14, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. The, the covenant that the people made in chapter 10, which included them, not neglecting, not forsaking the house of their God, which, which meant providing for the priests and the Levites who served at the temple, a, a covenant that was signed and sealed by 84 individuals who we have their names listed. Nehemiah's name being the first one on that list was agreed upon by the rest of all the people who had understanding. Everybody was on board with this covenant, this covenant, the signing of the covenant brought accountability with it to the promises the people had made to the Lord. And Nehemiah took that covenant, he put his name on seriously. And he was going to do whatever he could to help get everyone else who had committed to it on board with keeping it once again. So he contended with the rulers, he called them out. 
as he asked them, why is the house of God forsaken? See, they had failed in their responsibility to bring the offerings and the tithes into the storehouse of the temple. They'd failed to take care of the Levites and the singers, which caused the Levites and the singers to go back to taking care of their fields in order to provide for themselves so that they could live. But their absence at the temple meant that the spiritual service at the temple was not happening like it was supposed to or like God wanted it to. Nehemiah had already thrown Tobiah's stuff out of the storeroom. He had had it cleansed. He had brought back into the storeroom what was supposed to be in there. But now after calling out the rulers of the people who had forsaken God's house or those they were supposed to be taking care of that served at God's house, he he started putting people in place and positioning the right people who he knew would be faithful to distribute to their brethren. And, And we see that Judah responded to Nehemiah's calling out of their neglect by bringing the tithe and the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse again. You know, it probably didn't feel good. It probably embarrassed them. Maybe even irritated them that Nehemiah was calling out the areas of neglect, the compromises that had crept in, but they needed it. They needed it. Guys, we need Nehemiahs in our lives. And God may call us at times to be a sort of Nehemiah in the life of someone else. This wasn't a judgmental thing. Like, Nehemiah wasn't, there wasn't wasn't a hypocritical thing. It wasn't like Nehemiah was doing it, but then he's holding the people to a standard that he wasn't seeking to abide by himself. He's like, look, guys, we all agreed. Bob, you signed your name right next to mine. You know, Bob, the other guy. Bob from Bethshan, I don't know. He's looking around, he's seeing like, what's happened? Eliashib, the high priest, the, the person who should have been closest to God. His compromise sort of snowballed. It, it, it had an influencing effect. No doubt people would have, would have heard, like, well, Eliashib let Tobiah in. There's stuff in the storehouses that aren't where they're supposed to be. And so they just started going, like, well, why are we even bringing our stuff? Why are we bringing our stuff? It's not being used right. It's not being stored right. It's not going to the right people. So they just stopped bringing it. And the people that Nehemiah thought would be faithful were the people that were failing. They were unfaithful. You know, maybe they had been faithful for like the 11 years before this. But how many of us know, and I, and I, I get the saying, like, it's not about how you start, but how you finish that, that really matters. I, I think it's both. I think how you start does matter, but if, if we start great but then end as a failure, like it does, all the other stuff in between, it's like it's all tainted. We see that in, in the lives of ruined people in ministry. 
great. They had a great ministry. You see somebody's marriage, you're like, wow, look, it was so great for so many years. And then there's failure, and you're just like, what happened? It just kind of like leaves this bad taste in your mouth. But I love it that not everybody was unfaithful. I don't think it's like every single person. Obviously, Nehemiah was still being faithful to the Lord. I think what happens is that when we see so much unfaithfulness, when we see so much failure, it can make us feel like, well, what hope is there for me? People start getting into like the point where they want to get married and maybe their parents were divorced. Maybe they've had a friend that's been, and then what that relays to them is like, well, how is mine going to work? Like, I see these other people, and they, they start great ministry, and they're serving the Lord, but then just stuff starts going downhill, or hypocrisy takes place, compromise starts settling in, and it, and it can bring sort of like a hopelessness to people at times. Nehemiah would not have appointed other people if they weren't being faithful, There were people who were doing what God had called them to do. And those people, Nehemiah goes, I want you. I want you. You've been been doing the right things. I want you to be over the storehouse. You're going to make sure everything works like it's supposed to. And after having to do and say some hard things, we see Nehemiah's heart in his prayer to the Lord. Not wanting God to wipe out his good deeds he had done, but wanting the Lord to to see, to remember, to know that what he did, he did for the Lord, for his house, for the services at his house. He didn't pray this for anyone else's benefit. This journal entry was just another example of the humble and consistent prayer life that Nehemiah had. The the worship life of the people had been affected. It had been damaged. It had been hindered. Because the house of God had been forsaken, it had been neglected, and and Eliashib's sinful compromise played a big role in this. Again, Eliashib had made room for Tobiah, the enemy, welcomed him into the city, given him a place to stay, which was connected to and in close proximity to the temple, and in a sense, the enemy was given a foothold and position of influence when it came to the spiritual health and the worship life of God's people. When our priorities of the things of the Lord and the house of the Lord, His church, are pushed out and sinful compromise is allowed in, know that what we've really done is pushed the Lord out. You ever think about that passage in Revelation where Jesus is speaking to one of the churches and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What is Jesus really saying there? Speaking to a church, speaking to believers. I'm on the outside. I'm wanting to come in. Open the door like, I'm ready, I want to come in. I'm knocking. That we could be guilty of those same things. You and I are not beyond it. 
that in our allowing of, you know, just stuff. Maybe it's not even blatantly sinful stuff. It's just stuff. It's, it's distractions. We busy ourselves, and so we, we're making room, in a sense. We're making room in our hearts, our lives, for all of these things. But as we're doing that, are, is the Lord being pushed out? Only you and I can answer that really, truly, honestly for ourselves before the Lord. The the way to fix that, though, if that's us, is humility and confession. Asking the Lord to pull a Nehemiah, to throw out, to cleanse, to purify us of those things that we've allowed in, to allow the Lord to clean the house and clean house in our lives for Him to kick the Tobias who have gained a foothold and position of influence in our hearts to the curb so that every room of our heart can truly be filled by the Lord and surrendered to Him alone. You know, I think what happens sometimes is, well, you know, and, and I've prayed this, and I'm sure probably some of you have prayed the same thing, like, Lord, I want more of you. We even have a song, Lord, I want more of you, right? But it's like, you know what I think the problem usually is? It's that the Lord is saying, I want more of you to us. He's made himself fully accessible and available to us. If we're missing anything of the fullness of Jesus, it's not because he's withholding himself. It's because we have stuff that we've, maybe put into the, the storerooms of our hearts. And so Jesus may be knocking going, I want, I want more of you actually. Making room for the Lord. With the Jewish people, the, the spiritual enemy, as we've seen today, and you know, there's obviously a clear physical enemy, Tobiah, here. But, but beyond that, behind that, this, the spiritual enemy, the devil and his demons, as we've seen today, we'll continue to see next week, kept using the same tactics to bring the people of God back into a place of sinful compromise, sticking with what had worked countless times before, relentless in wanting to get the people of God to a place where their fellowship with the Lord would be damaged through compromise or impurity and their witness for the Lord would be damaged too. And the same is true for us. Our spiritual enemy knows what tactics to use to get sinful compromise into our lives. Is relentless in their desire of wanting to damage both our withness and our witness. Our withness, being with Jesus, that closeness of fellowship, that intimacy that gets damaged through sin, our witness. He wants to ruin that and he wants to ruin our witness, our ability to be a light, to be salt, to be ambassadors. For Jesus Christ. But praise God for his heart seen in the actions of Nehemiah in this chapter. The, the, that the zeal we see in Nehemiah really reflected the zeal God had 
for his people to not leave his people in their state of sinful compromise with a wrecked intimacy with him and a wrecked witness for him. But wanting to do something about that gap that existed of where things were to where they should be in their relationship with him, their witness for him, so that they would be all he desired them to be. And we'll see more of this in our final study of Nehemiah next week. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. I want to ask us a few things this morning. Have we let sinful compromise creep into our lives? Have we given room to our spiritual enemy that belongs to the Lord and the things of the Lord? And because of that, have actually pushed out the Lord himself. You know, maybe for some of us it's not so much compromise, but maybe the, maybe the Lord today is just asking us to make more room for Him to move and work and have free reign in our hearts and lives. Maybe it's not sinful compromise, it's just busyness, it's just stuff that's crowded out spots in our lives that the Lord is going, but I want more of you. Maybe as we're saying, Lord, I want more of you, the Lord is just responding to us, yeah, I want more of you. (laughs) I want more of you. You can have all of me, but does he have all of us? Maybe, maybe you've been seeking to be faithful to the Lord in an unfaithful generation. Maybe you're like Nehemiah here seeking to stick to the covenant of the Lord, the promises of God, walking in obedience to Him. Know this morning that the good deeds that you've done for the house of your God, for Him, for His kingdom, for His glory, that He sees those things, He won't forget. And that He'll reward you in heaven. I want to encourage you, if that's you this morning, don't grow weary in doing good. Paul writes in Galatians 6, 9, For in due season you shall reap if you don't lose heart. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep living for Jesus. But, but if you've joined us this morning and you don't just first have a personal saving relationship with Jesus, the, the issue is not even a compromise issue. It's a, it's a lostness issue. He wants to make you a child of God. But that only happens by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That only happens by humbling ourselves, humility, repentance, a laying down of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we we thank you for your word this morning. God, not not every passage of Scripture is full of just like, Wow, like I, this really just, you know, blessed my socks off. Sometimes it's this where it's, wow, God, you're challenging me. 
you're, you're calling me on to, to greater holiness. And God, you're maybe speaking a hard word even for some this morning. But God, you're doing it because you love us. Lord, you're doing it because, God, if there are things that we've allowed into our lives, God, those things, whether we, we recognize it or not, Lord, those things are damaging our witness and they're damaging our witness, Lord. And so, God, if, that's, if that is any of us this morning, God, put your finger on those things in our hearts, Lord, graciously. Lord, that we would see God, those things for, for what they truly are, that, that it is sinful compromise, Lord, or maybe it's just we've, we've let other things crowd in that have crowded you out to where you're standing on the other side of the door of our hearts knocking to be let back in. God, reveal those things to us this morning. Deal with those things in our hearts, God, that need to be dealt with this morning, Lord, clean house. Lord, cleanse us of compromise. God, would we confess those things to you? Lord, would we humble ourselves before you? That, God, you would have every bit of us. Lord, for those who have been seeking to be faithful to you, Lord, and they're, maybe, they're just, maybe they're dealing with discouragement as they look out and they they see God. Maybe they're, they're, they're greatly grieved like Nehemiah as they look out and see people just getting caught up with all kinds of things that, Lord, you're, you're not okay with, that, God, you would encourage them today. Strengthen them, Lord, to keep running the race that's been set before them, that they would keep looking to Jesus. They keep living for you, Jesus that they wouldn't grow weary in doing good. Lord, that you cause them to reap in due season. And God, if there's anybody here this morning and they don't have a personal relationship with you, Lord, they're lost. God, they're, they're separated from you by their sin. It's not, a, it's not a damaged relationship, Lord. It's a non-existent relationship. That God, now you, in their hearts, you would just be, you'd be speaking to them, Lord. Convicting and convincing, Lord, they'd see their need for you. Lord, see, they'd see the reality of who you are, Lord, the goodness of God, that it would, the, the kindness of, of you, Lord, would lead them to a place of repentance, God, a posture of heart, where they'd humble themselves before you and, and cry out to you. And if that's anybody here, that, that in their hearts they would just say, Jesus, that's me, I'm a, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I, I want your salvation, Lord. I need to be saved from my sin. I can't do it. Save me, Lord. Forgive me. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Make me a child of God. Seal me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you give me newness of life? Would you give me the promise and hope of heaven? Lord, would you give me power to live a life that's, that's holy unto you, Lord, that's pleasing to you? 
Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose from the grave. Jesus, today I I repent of my sin and I put my faith in you. Just encourage you in the authority of Scripture that if you do that, the Bible says you will be saved. Maybe for others this morning, there's, this, there's a moment, maybe, maybe even during this, this first song afterwards as we sing about making room for you, Lord, that God, there, just, there needs to be a, some humility and repentance that needs to happen in the hearts of some, Lord, who have made room for, for things that don't belong. God, would you kick the Tobias out this morning? Lord, would you cleanse you purify and God would you bring in Lord yourself your presence, your power, your goodness your love, your grace Lord that we would make room for you as you deserve God we're thankful that Lord you want us that Lord you're patient and gracious with us And Lord, would you bless your people this morning, God. Make your face to shine upon them. Lord, would you do a new work in the hearts of your people. We're thankful for you, Lord. We praise you. Continue to worship you now, Lord, through these songs. In Jesus' name, amen.